Welcome to the Vox Community Podcast. Learn more about Vox Community at voxoc.com. Join us at 10 a.m. on Sundays at voxoc.com slash live and at the Eldorado Performing Arts Center. Oh, good morning, Vox. How are you guys? Morning to you guys. Morning, Facebook. Hope that you're uh, watching and joining us. Thank you for joining us. Hope the sound is working. We've had some issues, but uh, we're glad you're with us. Uh, anybody else uh, irritated level because of the heat? Yeah. So for me, oh, I'm, I, I can't handle it. The air went out. The air broke in our house uh, on the hottest day. Was that Thursday or Friday? Yeah, Friday. Friday, it was like 108 where we were at. And some people were texting me pictures of 122 inland. Uh, so I apologize if that's if that's what you've been feeling. He has been miserable for us. Uh, I just found out, I got a text from my wife though, that the air is actually working again in our house. So praise the Lord. And praise the Lord, the air works in here. So uh, welcome to Vox. We're glad that you're here. Uh, we got a great morning. Um, a very, very good and dear friend of mine, Jack West, is here. He's our guest teacher. Um, he's going to be sharing. He's got an incredible story. Um, he is a pastor of care and counseling. Uh, he has his master's degree in marriage and family therapy. So he's, uh, uh, does a lot of work with people and couples and counseling. And, uh, he, he's just, he's got a great story and I'm excited for him to share with you this morning, what he's got planned. We got a chance to meet with the team and, and kind of hear the story. And I think it's going to be great. So I think you'll enjoy it. Uh, a couple things. Um, uh, we have a new dinner uh, that's coming up, uh, this Wednesday. Now what that is, is that, uh, we need people on teams to jump in and participate. Obviously, uh, what we do here every single week doesn't happen without the hard work of our volunteers and people who want to be a part of this community. And so um, if you're interested in that, that's what these dinners are for, to get you uh, uh, acquainted with our team, get you plugged in and kind of know where you best fit and where you can serve. And so uh, if that's something you're interested in, you haven't signed up, um, here's what I want you to do. Go to voxoc.com. If you go to under participate, you can sign up. Um, We'll get your name, we'll get you on a list, and then we'll get you into the dinner. Um, And it's really just sort of a chance for us to dialogue, have conversations. If you have questions about what we do and how we do it and why we do it, that'd be a great time for us to talk as well. As also with that, uh, another way that you could participate is financially. Again, part of what we do is because of people financially generously giving to this place. And so there are participation boxes out here um, and even outside in the lobby as you go, you can do that as well. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, no questions, no Q&A, but again, part of our community is built on the idea that um, this is the safest place to talk about anything, that the church really should be a place that um, creates space for people to have conversations about questions that come from the Bible or life. Uh, So if you have questions during the message um, or just at all about our church, you can text to 714-924-4473. Text your questions, we'll get those in. um, And usually we try to get them the next week. Uh, If they're about the message, we'll we'll, we'll have it um, either the next week or me and Andy will do it on a Facebook Live. Um, So that's important as well. The last thing, uh, Kona Ice is gonna be here after the service at 10 o'clock. So we get snow cones while it's 180 degrees. We'll have snow cones. So there's something great. Yeah, exactly. So we're excited about that. I'm going to invite Izzy and the band out. Uh, They're going to play a song for us this morning. Um, I don't know if you guys have noticed, but Izzy wasn't around the last couple of weeks. And so we're glad that she's back. But Izzy, uh, I thought it'd be appropriate for you to tell the folks where you've been the last couple of weeks that you weren't just ditching out on us. No, I just was at my house sleeping the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) No, I went out on tour with a friend. Um, I played in her band. So got to experience some tour stuff, lived in a car for a month. It was really exciting, smelled amazing. And the, and I won't the best, say any more about that. The best city you went to was in Iowa? 
Um, no. No. Okay. Absolutely not. <laughs> okay. I thought it was. It was <laughs> no offense to Iowa. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no. New York was really fun. That was my favorite show. That's great. Yeah. It was fun. It was all like East Coast. And so. you're getting a chance to do music and it's yeah. awesome. Played keys and sang and played tambourine and a potato shaker. That was the best part of the whole trip. Can you do a potato shaker here on a Sunday? Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I have enough hands okay. to do it at well, the same time, yeah. but I will absolutely put this down for that shaker <laughs> okay. for sure. All right. Well, thank you. We're glad that you're back. I'm uh, glad to so- be back. I missed y'all. Hey guys. <laughs> Good morning. I'm Jack. Ronnie introduced me as the pastor of care and counseling at Mariner's Church. And that was close. I'm the pastor of care and recovery, which kind of pulls in another 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 big part of ministry, but really a big part of my story, as I'm also a pastor who's in recovery. Um, but I'm also a dad. Um, and before I was a dad, I was a husband. <laughs> I am a husband, and my beautiful wife has joined me this morning. Julie, can you raise your hand to say hi? Yay! And I, I really do mean this. I am incredibly happy to be here with you guys this morning. Um, I follow you online, um, and which last weekend was incredible, was it not, with Carrie? Um, so if you're new with us, um, Go back and watch that message. Incredibly arousing. Um, just, uh, I, I, I cried, right? It, it, it left me um, wanting to take action, wanting to be a part of that larger story of redemption that she's involved with, it, that I think you guys are involved with as well. So I come to this spot, a little timid, a little, wow, I got to... I got to step into that, but I know, I know that, that God's up to something bigger, far bigger than me and, and, and what I'm going to do, but I just hope that my words um, can offer uh, something of the same kind of, of entering into that larger story. So uh, this text uh, that we're going to get into this morning um, comes uh, out of uh, John 13. So I, as I was preparing for this, and the, the team uh, asked me to step in and say, hey, "Would you would you come share?" and 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 uh, and they were kind of telling me about how the service works and, and really our, our, how this community is organized around this table. Um, Carrie said this. She said, "Just you know, the teaching is not the centerpiece of, of our gathering." It's the table. That's the centerpiece. So just prep them for the table. I thought, okay, that's good direction. And so in sort of my linear mind, I thought, well, I'll, I'll, I'll just go to my favorite gospel, John, and, and we'll, you know, we'll talk about the meal, right? Breaking the bread, sharing the wine. But, but John, John, doesn't have, John doesn't have that scene in his gospel. Uh, and then I kind of took a deep gulp. Okay, well, God, you've led me to this verse. And, and, and John is, is the gospel that I feel most competent to teach out of. It's one that I've studied for many, many years. Um, and so I thought, okay, we're going to go with this. And I began to delve into the meaning behind John's usage of his table scene, which is not breaking of bread and sharing of wine. It's washing of feet. And so we're going to step into that uh, this morning. And I think for me, um, it is preparation for this table. But I would say that the way John positions it in his story, um, it it is an an overlay. It's another lens for us to view what I would call the gravitational center of our community. Not just Vox, but our community called the church, the universal church, the church that, to which Jesus is the head. 
Now, what I think is very unique and very special about what you're doing here or what we're doing here at Vox by reimagining what church can be, uh, it's holding to this gravitational center that we're gonna talk about, which is the communion table, which is, for John, the washing of feet. And so let me just give you a little, little backdrop on John's gospel, my favorite gospel. Um, it was actually, we believe, the last gospel written so John has a unique take. Um, he's not considered one of the synoptic gospels, um, but he has a unique style uh, that he draws us into the same story, which was, was, was not new when he wrote the gospel, his, his version of the gospel of Jesus' story. And so he's coming at this. He's trying to, trying to bring um, new life if you can imagine that, new life to a, to a conversation that he feels has become a bit limited. And he does that a couple of ways. He, he kind of is using, he's sort of expanding the lexicon. He's, he's using words that have like life and love and, and belief that have, he draws out their semantic range. So he's, he's actually trying to change or renew the language in the conversation about who Jesus is. And therefore, what is going on in the universe? I had a teacher uh, in grad school who used to say, if you want to have a better conversation, you got to find a better language. Because when you find a, a better language that, you, that resonates with people, you can have a better conversation, which will then you, lead you to connection. And connection will then lead to confession. And confession in the broadest sense, where we reveal more of who we are and what we are. And out of that confession and that connection, you can then move toward communion. And communion in the largest sense, in, in, in the sense in which we are healed in the context of relationship, where we can have authenticity and we can have vulnerability and we can have safety because you can't have those things without safety. So in the way that I'm, I'm, I'm lining this up is that John is drawing us into a better conversation about the gospel, a better conversation about who Jesus was, and therefore what we are to be and to do in this world. Because that's the essence of John's gospel. He kind of lays it out for us in the very beginning. He doesn't pull any punches. He says the plot line of my story that I'm telling about Jesus is so that you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus came from God, and he's returning to God. Which we can, when we see Jesus, we see the full expression of God's incarnate love, his responsive love to the world. And so John's gospel is full of red letters. It's full of drawing us into the words that Jesus said to us to incite a new kind of life and a, really a new kind of community. And I think that's what, what John's drawing us into. It's this conversation in the 13th chapter of John around a table. And so John has this really unique way of giving us a conversational look at the gospel. Lots of conversations that happen in John's gospel, and we're going to look at a couple of them this morning, but one in particular happens around this table. And so as John is a master storyteller, it, it makes sense that we look at this story um, with, with, with story on our mind. We're going to look at it through what, what's called narrative critique. So uh, two weeks ago, if you were with us, uh, Will kind of showed you a little bit of the backdrop of the structure of how he comes at interpreting a passage. And I felt like it was helpful if I could do that. 
um, because it's not often that we run into um, looking at the stories in the Bible or even the larger story of the Bible with their critical lens. And I don't mean critical in the sense that like we're trying to evaluate its, its veracity. I mean we're trying to evaluate it using the structures that John used intentionally to draw us into the story. So, so John is using uh, techniques like plot and setting and mood and character development. These are all narrative categories because he's telling us a story and he is paying attention to these things. He would have had language for what he was doing. So if we had John here, he would, and we said, John, let's talk about the plot development of Jesus in, in, in chapter 13. And he would he would pick right up and he'd say, here's what I'm doing with that. And we're going to look at that. So there's two really categories that I want to use as we look at this that are going to draw us into the story. And one is plot development, which is connected to narrative sequence, which is then connected to character development. So the, the plot of, of the gospel is obviously redemption. Right, we all, and then we, we could put that that category on it, and we know that I've that the plot of John's gospel is that is that Jesus in this story of redemption is God, and God comes to us through Jesus and redeems us. And so, as we look at that, we know that there are things that will happen in this ver, in this chapter that we're going to read that happen in sequence, and they draw us into how it is that John reveals what's happening with Jesus. So. And then the second one we're going to use is setting and mood. And setting and mood is simply this, is that whenever a storyteller tells a story, he, he draws us into the setting. He, he lays that foundation. And the setting then evokes a certain mood. And John does that rhetorically in his story here, and we're going to look at that to draw us deeper into the story and deeper into action. Okay, you ready? Now, here's the thing. Um, I didn't really see any other way around just reading the whole story, or at least, the, is that okay? It's... It's a lot, but we're going to have the words up there. Um, and, uh, and so let's just read together. If you have your Bibles with us, it's John chapter 13, or if you have your, the, the phone thing, um, the, the Google machine, uh, you can, any translation. So you read whatever translation you want. Um, but here it is. I'll start with John chapter 13, verse 1. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to, to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it in the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments, and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured out water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do not wash my feet. Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. And Simon Peter said, Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet, 
and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. For I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does not take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me. And whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled in his spirit and testified. Truly, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Now, this is the beginning of the Passion Week in John's story. So just like the other Gospels, where in this place we see the, the meal of, uh, the, the, of the breaking of the bread and the sharing of the wine, and Jesus is, is asking his disciples to continue on in doing this act in remembrance of me. We have another story in another gospel where John is drawing his community that he's writing to, that he's writing this gospel to, and therefore the broader community of the church that, 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 that we now embody into what I call this gravitational field of experience around forgiveness. Now, it doesn't jump out at you that this is about forgiveness, and it didn't to me at first, because I think for me, I drew into the narrative arc of Jesus, which I'll, I'll, I'll just sort of outline for you. If, if you remember in the beginning of the passage, um, John enumerates Jesus' status as coming from the Father and going back to the Father, and having the Father put all things in his hands. He's sort of establishing this character in this story is of the highest order. He is one with the Father. He's restating what he said in the very beginning of his story in the Gospel as he draws us into this story. His status is up here. And then we see Jesus begin to move down He removes his garments. He lays them aside. He becomes vulnerable, mostly naked, actually. He puts himself in the position of a servant. Now, it's, you know, if this was the first foot washing, it would have been a messy affair. They would have had human refuse on their feet because uh, they had no plumbing, obviously, at this first century. And so uh, there was uh, human feces and and refuse uh, out in the street. And so the mud was mixed with poop. <laughs> and so when, when guests came to a dinner, the servants would come out because they would be reclining at a, at, a, at a table in a certain way and their feet would be sticking out and the servants would just come by very quietly and, 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 and do the job of washing the feet. Now, whether that had, had not happened yet or, or whether uh, Jesus was doing something um, that a servant would do after they had done it purely symbolically in terms of the function of the meal, we don't know. But what we do know is that the God-man, as, as, as John says over and over as his gospel, this is not a job for the God-man. And yet, here it is, God incarnate, his responsive love to us embodied in Jesus is serving those that follow him by cleaning the poop off their feet. 
And then in John's story, he has Jesus then resume his status. In fact, it says in verse 12, he resumed his place. So he's drawing us into this sort of inverted arc. Now, to me, that reminds me of, of, of what, what, Jesus, what God did through Jesus in the larger story, is that he came from on high and came down to us to show us how to love one another. And then he came back to the Father. And, and John knows that his hearers w- would resonate with that story arc. They're informed. They've heard the story, most of them, before. And so he's drawing them into what does it mean that God would come down and clean the poop off his disciples' feet? See, in John's gospel, the feet represent that part of our body which trespasses against one another, the feet and the hands. And so not only is Jesus just sort of doing this very humble service, he's doing it to a part of the body that, that will eventually walk out on him. He's sort of pre-naming the offense and he's offering them forgiveness. Now John does another thing and this is the other, the other narrative device that he uses through, the, through his rhetoric. Four times through what I just read, he names Judas's betrayal. Did you, did you hear that, right? So the, the repetition, right, it, it comes into, because this gospel was meant to be heard before it was read. And 3% of the literacy rate at that time in the world, the gospel would have heard, been heard and therefore was written for the ears, not so much the eyes. And so he's rhetorically drawing us into this refrain of betrayal over and over again. And so in doing that, he changes or at least heightens the meaning of forgiveness. It's forgiveness in the context of betrayal. And not just betrayal, but betrayal of those that are closest to us. And not only that, but then the, the, the center of the story, the centerpiece, the, the one that, that John is just sort of, the barb that he's sort of just throwing out, this grappling hook to pull us in, is Jesus' words. They essentially say, I've given you an example. Do this. This is what you are to do. And it resonates with, do this in remembrance of me because of where the story is placed in the narrative sequence of the gospel as compared to the other gospels. This is a new conversation. There's new language here. And there's new opportunity to confess. So could I confess a little bit about the story or the conversation of forgiveness in the context of betrayal that I've been having in my life? So I've been in ministry for, what I, what I mean by that is, I have been working for a church for the last 11 years. I, before I came to California, I came f- um, from the Duodenum of the United States. <laughs> Familiar with that organ? Yes, it's kind of a, you know. Um, thank you, medical humor, thank you. That, that was, I, I, I worked hard on that. There was, Wikipedia was involved. Uh, I may not have hit the, hit the mark, but I, I thought it was, anyway. So uh, I come from Florida, and I did ch- I did a ch- a ministry with a church there for uh, seven years, um, kind of a startup church, um, not kind of it was a, it was startup church. I joined with six people on staff, 
Uh, and so we, it was, man, it was all guns firing, right? We did this for seven years. Um, it, when I left, there were four campuses, um, and it, there were some incredible things happening uh, in that place. We had a campus uh, in the county jail, um, so weekly we were worshiping with um, the, some of the poorest of the poor uh, in our county um, who, uh, who are locked up on a short-term basis. I mean, just, I mean, it was... Learning, it was incredible. Um, it's where I heard, uh, that season of my life where I heard God's calling. Um, and I heard it through a, a friend um, named Isaac. And he was a senior pastor of our budding community there as I joined the staff. And, and I had a um, longer story, but, you know, I've, I've come through a difficult season in my life. There was a lot of transition happening, um, family business being, you know, passed and sold. And I, yeah, cause I came out of the professional world. And so he invited me on staff, and, and, and that was my entry into pastoral ministry. And so, this, as the story goes, we did ministry together. The church grew, staff grew. Um, a lot of incredible things happened to me during that season. But then um, Isaac stepped down after, after six years. Six years? About six years. He had an affair. And, the, and, the, and I don't say this lightly. The tragic part of that experience, at least at that point in the story, was, you know, because of the just sort of the development of evangelicalism in the United States and, and mega church world, um, I'd seen that movie before. I'd heard that story. I hadn't been that close to it, but this was not. Um, of course, it was a deep shock. Um, but when it, the dust settled, it was kind of like, unfortunately, that was something that we'd seen somewhere before. But then a year later, after um, a longer story, just incredible hurt, trying to reconnect, restore, trying to restore, you know, find out how to to help our friend, he ended his life. And um, and so for me personally, that 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 was that was a deep hit. Uh, the first one, I felt like, wow, we can come back from this, right? And the second one. I don't know how you come back. I mean, not in this life, how you come back from that. And so, so suicide for me is, is also a tender spot. My cousin, two years prior, had committed suicide. It was actually the first memorial <laughs> I did in our church. And, and since then, three others have ended their life from that community, larger story um, of, of, of harm, self-harm. And so, to me, this tender place of betrayal uh, in, in how I'm to respond to my brother and my sisters, those who 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 share the table with me, um, is in, is I'm in process over. <laughs> and and here's kind of the the three phases that I'm I'm working through. Could I name those for you? And and the first one is simply to name it. To name it. Now that seems simple. We think, well, okay, well, we can just say, uh, you know, walked on his wife, you know, ended his life, or, or whatever the offense is, possibly in your life that you've come into. But to to understand the nature of betrayal, I think is critically important uh, when we're talking about brothers and sisters in community, or we're talking about family members. Because here's the difference between when someone hurts you that you are not in familial relationship with 
it's outside of that i believe i think it's outside of of, of that proximity where the commitment to care for one another, the commitment to care for the message of the gospel, the commitment to care for, for one another along the journey um, is not violated. But inside of that circle, so around this table, I believe we have to talk about the nature of betrayal and the violation of the commitment to care for one another in the context of the gospel and the love that Jesus shared around that table. And I think for me, if I could just expand it beyond my story, but having walked in the, in the church for 11 years um, and having seen, you know, headlines and other things of people who, have, who have, have hurt others through betrayal, um, we don't talk about the communal aspects of betrayal very much. We don't do it well. If I could be really honest, and I'm not sure I want to be this honest because this is the internets are watching. <laughs> Um, I think and and this is I am speaking as someone who's part of the problem (laughs) I think the church particularly the evangelical megachurch world has protected what we do on Sunday by not naming the nature of communal betrayal I've been through enough family meetings where the order of the day is more about protecting the space of Sunday and the mechanics of Sunday than it is about the message. It's about protecting a vehicle and not the message. And I think what Jesus is calling us into is to embody this act that is the message that getting on our feet or our knees and washing the refuse of the sin that we commit off one another's feet in the context of deep betrayal, deep violation of the commitment to care for one another is the thing that helps us embody the message most clearly. The medium, which is the vehicle of that in the message are one and the same. And so I think what I'm calling us into in this sort of budding community that has committed itself to reimagine church around this table, it's to keep the focus on the forgiveness and listen to the background music of betrayal and let us guide us into deeper territories, deeper iterations of being able to name what is true about how we have hurt one another. And that will necessarily push us into the second phase. Naming well will push us into the phase of grieving well. And I think for me, that's kind of <laughs> where, I've, where I've been maybe in the last four years um, is, is how, how do I help what I've named, I think pretty, pretty adequately, push me into grieving well, the losses. And I think for me, that's kind of where I am. Now, I, do, I, do I then move to the third phase or do I understand the third phase, which is to release? Yeah. I mean, there has been some release. But just like any good grief, it's not linear. 
<laughs> and so I kind of move non-linearly through these phases of being able to name well, to find new ways of grieving, and then deeper release, a deeper level of forgiveness. And I think if I could call us into that journey, it would, this morning, it would, it would be, it would, it would, it would expand my heart. If I could call you into that journey of where you have had someone violate the commitment to care in your life, whether a family member or someone who stood in this spot or another spot, if it's church, and you could be moved into a larger story of naming, grieving, and releasing. Because I want us to be that kind of people. I want us to be the kind of people that engage in that kind of activity. But here's what I know. We cannot do it without Jesus. In fact, I, I believe we can't do it without first entering into the conversation about forgiveness in the context of our own betrayal. So if you follow, so using our, our narrative critique, if we follow two more characters in this story in John 13, that is Judas and Peter. Judas obviously shows up prominently in the refrain, in the setting of the mood, but we know that Peter is also at the center of the story as, as he's contending with Jesus over his act. We love Peter, don't we? <laughs> Always contending with Jesus. Ah. Oh. And John's, John's using his contention to highlight, to highlight what Jesus is doing. And so if we follow these two, these two characters through their story journey from this point, we find um, that Judas obviously betrays as the story foretells or foreshadows, and then his story ends abruptly. And I think that's, to me, uh, the inability to grapple with the larger story of forgiveness. Um, David White said, uh, to forgive is to enter into a larger gravitational experience than the one in which we were harmed. And so uh, it, it, it then makes sense that, that, that we could call that gravitational experience a larger story. In, in, in unforgiveness, in my view, if we follow Judas's narrative arc, ends in the collapse of a smaller story on the author. Now, I, I've said that I have a tender spot for suicide, so I'm not making a comment about how Judas ended his life, but that all stories that are not expansive, all stories that don't have forgiveness at their center will eventually collapse on their author. But Jesus is calling us and Peter into a larger story called Judas as well, which is what what is so incredible is he's washing the feet of his betrayer. But if you follow Jesus Peter's story, he ends up on a beach in Galilee in the last chapter of John, found almost sort of drawn into an, another conversation. If you remember, this is the story where Jesus meets Peter around a fire side. In, in John's gospel, he depicts this fire that Jesus built on the beach of Galilee, and Jesus starts asking him these questions, do you love me, Peter? And he asks him three times. And John, in, in his rhetoric, is referencing the, th- the triple denial that, that Peter found himself around another fireside, also named in John's gospel. And so these two fireside scenes are highlighted, and, and really this is a conversation 
about Peter's betrayal in the context of forgiveness. And so to me, that's our entry point into this journey of our vocation beginning with forgiveness. Did you know you guys all have a calling? You all have a vocation? And it starts with forgiveness. And that calling and that vocation is, is begun by entering into this conversation that Peter found himself in, which is a conversation about, about his betrayal in the context of forgiveness. Because in that conversation, when that story is told, we are transformed. So my, my, my question to you is, what are the stories of loss? What are the stories of betrayal? What are the stories of harm that you have been a part of that need to be retold in the context of grace and forgiveness? Now that's a tough question. And if I'm honest, I'm, and I'm using the story that I use, that, that's kind of what I'm trying to do is, is how do I retell the story of the last eight years of my life with regard to my ministry and the people that I've worked with, particularly my friend Isaac, in the context of grace and forgiveness? Because I can tell you this, part of what hurt and harm does to us is that is it, we tell the story in the context of shame. We tell the story in the context of unforgiveness, of resentment. And that shapes us. It bends us, it twists us. It draws us, in my opinion, away from who we were always meant to be and what we were always meant to do in this world. And yet I know that by Peter's example, and John so graciously inviting us into this other conversation, is that those stories need to be retold. We need to put language to where we have walked away, where others have abandoned us. And, and that story must have its setting and its mood changed from unforgiveness and shame and loss to one of grace and forgiveness. And in my own life, that has made all the difference. I begin to reimagine who I am and those stories. And I begin to open up new, it begins to open up new possibilities for the future. Hope becomes alive as I enter into those graves. You see, that journey is the one that I know sets me up to engage fully, more fully, in this table fellowship. They work together. And I'm, what, I'm, what I'm offering you is I don't know that we can do one without the other. I don't know that we can just have uh, those conversations about betrayal in the context of forgiveness without first having or at least being involved critically in our own conversation with Jesus about our own betrayal in the context of his forgiveness. And so for me, um, I want to ask you as I wrap up, what specifically are the conversations that you need to step into? Conversations of betrayal, conversations of forgiveness. Because I know this is the part, this next part of the service is, is one in which we step into, every Sunday we step into that conversation about betrayal in the context of forgiveness. And we start with our own betrayal of Jesus, because we have, 
we all come to this table, sinners. In fact, the only qualification for the table is that you're hungry. And our sin creates a hunger. It reveals a hunger in us. That's what it was meant to do. And so we approach this conversation needy. And what I'm saying is that is what sets us up to become who we were always meant to be and to do, to align our vocation with your aunt, with your cousin, with your mother, with your father, with the person sitting next to you, with those that you share this table with. Because we cannot be all who God called us to be without that, without being involved in that conversation. I know it's, it's incredibly tough, and so we're going to need God's Spirit with us. We're going to need to remind ourselves every Sunday, this is who we are and this is what we do. This is the gravitational center of our community. It is the essence, the, the very essence of who we were, who were designed to be. So let's enter this time with prayer. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, Jesus, the Spirit among us, would you draw us deeper into your story? And at the same time, would you draw us deeper into our own stories? And at that intersection point, would you meet us? Would you help us find the language of forgiveness, which at first is to name sin, whether that's sin in our own life or sin that we have been harmed by from someone else. And as we stand there at that intersection point, would you draw us to your cross? Would you draw us into the, the touch point, the epicenter of your forgiveness of us? And could we see ourselves clearly as betrayers, clearly as, as, as hungry sinners in need of some bread? And would you supply what we need to live into that unique identity in this world. And even more so, would you then infuse us with your life as we take the bread and the wine? Would you help us metabolize your power, your healing power? And would you move us critically and practically out into this bigger story, this larger gravitational field of experience with love at its center, actuated by the offering and the receiving of forgiveness. We know that you're here with us, so we, 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 we give you this time as we commune together as you have called us and, and commanded us to do. We pray these things in Jesus' name. So as I've said, this is, this is the table that we, we set up as the center of our community. And all are welcome at this table. 
the only qualification is that you are hungry. And as I've said, our hunger is incited by our inability to live fully into our identity as loved children of God. And so by my account, we all qualify. (laughs) So during this time as the band plays, would you name your hunger by sharing this meal with us? So as we conclude, I mean, we are benedicted. Remember this, is that we, as we step into this journey of forgiveness, as we um, continue the road, remember that we do not have to abandon justice in order to forgive like Jesus did. God's love is so complete and so whole that it holds together both forgiveness and justice. We don't have to fear his justice where we have failed, and we do not have to abandon justice where we need to forgive. He holds it all together. And so my prayer for us this week is that we would be drawn deeper into that kind of love as we relate to one another, but particularly as you relate to God. So hear these words of benediction. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face to shine upon you in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Go in God's peace. We have concluded our service. And we have Kona Ice on the patio because it's hot. Thanks for listening to the Vox Community Podcast. You can join us on Facebook at facebook.com slash voxcommunity. Participate in the Vox Community at voxoc.com slash participate.